Galatians, uh, chapter 3, the last verse in chapter 3, and then chapter 4. Let's go and bow in prayer as we open the word. Lord, we just thank you for this time to open your word and to worship you through, the, through your word and, and, and learn what you would have us to see. We ask for your guidance in your son's precious name. Amen. Amen. All right. I hope that last song really touches people. Worship the Lord, oh my soul. We need to worship God, not just on Sundays. Uh, this last week, I've been, I've been singing Psalm 40, 48 all week because I read it and it got stuck in my head as a song and I've been singing it. Uh, I guess there could be worse things than have God's words you know, stuck in your head <laughs> as a song, but it's... Uh, but really want to encourage people, spend time worshiping God. You know, glorify Him. Uh, in our prayer guides, we have the, the acronym ACTS, and that's Adoration, Confession, Thanksgiving, and Supplication. And we all need to start adoring God probably more than any of us do. I know I need to adore, adore Him more, and I spend a lot of time worshiping Him, confessing our sins, giving him, being thankful for what He's given and then that last part is supplications. And so many times when we think about prayer, all we ever think about is the supplication part. God, this is what I need, or this is what so-and-so needs, you know. And we oftentimes will forget to give God praise, adoration, thanksgiving. And we want to we really encourage that. You know, spend time just praising God. Um, so Galatians chapter 3, starting with verse 29. And if ye be Christ, then ye are Abraham's seed, and heirs according to the promise. Now I say that the heir, as long as he is a child, differs nothing from the servant, though he be lord of all, but is under the tutors and governors until the time appointed of the father. Even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of the law. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, made of a woman, made under the law, to redeem them that were made, that were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. And because we are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no more a servant, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. I want to look at this because Paul's been setting up this argument that the law had a good benefit. It was a tutor. And if you remember, we talked about a tutor being the person who was in charge of that child especially when they left the home. And that tutor's job was to make sure that the child did not get hurt and that the child didn't do something stupid and get in trouble. And we all know how that goes. You send your teenagers out and a lot of times, and you can remember when you were a teenager and you probably did stupid things. Uh, well, the tutor in those days, especially for a wealthy person, was to go out and make sure that child didn't do something dumb. Now, they were kind of like a part bodyguard, and, and it also meant their moral, protect, moral protect, protection, not just physical. They were to make sure they didn't go out and steal or, or, or pick on people that would get, cause bad, bad name. And this is what we're being told here. We are the seed of Abraham because we are in Christ. But when we first become saved, before we're saved, we're under the law. And the law, we've talked about, the law is a good thing. If you follow the law, you get a lot of protection. If you're not lying and stealing and murdering people and, 
and committing adultery and coveting, you're going to be in a pretty good place. You break all of those, and somebody somewhere is going to watch you go after you. Now, if you lie to somebody, then they're wanting, they're wanting to find out what the truth is and maybe even why you lied to them. If you kill somebody, you usually got at least the family after you, especially in that day. Uh, nowadays, you'd have the law after you, supposedly. <laughs> but you at least have a family who's upset and seeking you. And same thing when you commit adultery. There's a husband out there or a wife that's out there that's going to be trying to go after you. There's the protection of the law. In Leviticus, we've been going through some stuff that's fairly boring, you know, the, the food rules of the Jews. But you know, those food rules that they had kept them protected. Uh, they weren't to eat food that wasn't bad for them. You know, little things like shellfish, which uh, of course, you know, I dearly love. I had to give them up because of my gout. But I love shellfish. Shellfish are terrible for you. They're, unhealthy, they're an unhealthy food for you because they eat up all the garbage out of the, out of the oceans. They're terrible food for you. They taste good, though, unfortunately. <laughs> uh, but God says don't eat them because they're not healthy. You know, and all these different things that he says don't eat because they're, they're, they're unhealthy for you. Well, we now know how to cook some things. Like we know that if you eat pork or, or bear or something, you cook it thoroughly. You don't eat it rare because of the possibility of diseases like trigonosis and everything. Not as much now in America because we have cleaner feeding systems and everything. but. These protections were there. The law protected God's people. It was the tutor that went out with, his, with the people and said, as long as you do these things, <laughs> you won't get into trouble. And he put us under those. Not because keeping the law would make us good with God. <laughs> because we know that that's not going to happen. God's standard is perfection. So keeping the laws does not say, OK, you've kept more laws than not kept, so you're OK with God. No. Nope. He says, I just want you to be as protected as possible. And the more we keep his laws, the more protected we are. And it's not because God's going to love us more. He's not going to say, well, I you know, this person really keeps lots of laws, so I'm going to really love them. This person, they're pretty bad. I, you know, I love them enough to send Jesus, but that's it. No. His love is complete. God loves you as much as he will ever love you before you're saved and after you're saved. He doesn't love you more after you become a saved he just can fellowship with you now because you're in Christ. You can have fellowship with him. You can be able to spend time with him. But he loved us so much that he sent Jesus to die for us so that we could be his children. That we could be the children of God. Now we've talked about this a couple of times, the idea of being his child, you know, being in a family. All of us know what it means to be in a family, hopefully. In this day and age, that's not necessarily true, I know. But when you're in a family, when you've got the love of a father, love of a mother, love of a grandparent, aunts and uncles, there's a great union there that is perfect. My daughter, my daughter called me up the other day and she wanted to just say, Dad, I want to tell you thank you for being my dad. <laughs> she had just gone to a young girl's uh, Bible study and they were talking about fathers. And she was listening to all these girls tell about how bad their fathers were. <laughs> and she was just made her really happy that she had a father that had cared for her and, and protected her. And this is the sad thing. Satan is so out there trying to destroy family. And if he can destroy family, he destroys the picture that God wants to say that we're a family. You know, 
when, when you tell some of these people that God wants to be your father, you know, the first thing that runs into your mind of, I know what a father is, I don't want a father. I don't need another father because they've been abused, they've been abandoned, whatever the case might be. Because Satan has successfully done a job on families. And it's so important for us to be able to show what a family is. Those of us who have good families, we need to be thankful that we have good families and share that and, and teach people what it means to have a family. To be protected by a father, to be, be protected by a mother, to be nurtured. God says that we're a family. And it's funny, I've, I've seen it over the years and I go, I'm spoiled, I came from a good family. I, I, I came from a good family. I had a mom and a dad and when they got divorced, they still had fairly safe, good family after that they, and they both got remarried. I saw solid families and raised us and protected us. When I read that we're a family and we talk about being the family of God, to me that is the greatest thing I can have because I've got a great picture. I'm learning more and more over time that not everybody has that solid picture of a family. But we want to be able to look, when God says this, we want to look at what God says a family is, not what our experience might say a family is. Because God is the Father that will protect us. All through Psalms, and we're reading, going through Psalms on Sunday nights, and it says, run to God. He is, your, he is our, our salvation. He is our refuge. He is our strength. He is our protection. That's what God is. That's what a father should be for his family. And so we want to look at this. God wants to be our protection. He wants to be our defense. And we've said this over and over. The greatest defense we can have is God. If I try to defend myself, I always make a mess out of things and say the wrong things and do the wrong things and usually make things worse. It's usually much easier for me to just keep my mouth shut and let God bring the defense out. And I know you all know what that experience is like when you get in the middle of something and you're emotional about it, you're trying to defend yourself and salvage your name and, and you end up just stirring the pot and making them more mad at you or you getting mad at them. And, and it's so much better when we just say, God is my defender. I'm just gonna relax in him. And you know when you relax, things go so much better. They can be mad at you all they want. They can say all the things they want to say about you. But when you're relaxing in God, it doesn't affect you. Have you ever had to, tried to have an argument with somebody that just won't argue with you? you know, they're just not going to enter into the argument. You know, your argument doesn't last very long, does it? You, you may sit there and yell at them and scream at them, but if they're not responding, it's hard to have an argument. And truth will come out in those kind of situations. Very much so because God says he is our defense. He is our defender. When, and Jesus, how often did he just sit back and say, teach? They'd ask him a question and he'd teach on something else. <laughs> you know, because their question was trying to trap him and he knew it. So he would just go, answer, he'd just, you know, go on something that usually was related but they didn't see it. And God's saying, we're your family. We are a part of a family. We were under tutors. And then it says, we were under the elements of this world. Elements are the principles to be first things. And we've said this over and over. No matter how spiritual we get, no matter how much we think, like, try to think with God, we get into his word, we are still fleshly beings. When something happens to us, our first instinct is going to be a fleshly instinct. When that person is wanting to argue with me, 
everything in my body and in my nature is going to say, okay, well, I'm ready to argue. Hopefully, the spiritual comes real quick and says, just stay quiet. Just let God be your defense. But it will always be our first instinct to strike out with the flesh. It's, we're under the elements of the, law, of the world. When somebody hits you, your first instinct is to strike back. Jesus said, you know, turn the other cheek, you know, love your enemy. None of that stuff is natural. None of us want to love an enemy. None of us want to be kind to somebody who's saying bad things about us. Nobody wants to be kind to that person who's trying to hurt us. And yet when we sit down with the Spirit, the Spirit can come out and say, we're going to show love. We're going to show grace. We're going to give them mercy and watch them change. Over the many years, I've seen more people changed by just giving them room to grow with God and give them grace. Could I give people a whole bunch of laws to get help, you know, trying to help them change? Yeah, many churches do that all the time. Here's what the Bible says about this, that, the other thing, and here's your list of rules to keep. But they don't change at the heart level when you do that. You give them grace. You let God work on their heart. God will change people. I have seen God make miraculous changes in people. And in 42 years, I've seen great miraculous changes in people. You look at people and say, oh, there's no way that person can ever follow God. <laughs> They're just too bad. And they, and they follow God. I was talking to somebody. One of the books I read when I was a teenager was The Cross and the Switchblade about a man named Nicky Cruz. And he was a notorious gangster in New York. He led, he led the meanest uh, gang. And they had a big outing where they brought all these gangs into a, a revival meeting. And they asked Nicky and his gang to take up the offering. <laughs> now, and Nicky says, OK, we'll take up an offering. And they're fully planning to go from the front right out the back door. <laughs> OK? And he's looking at everybody. And he's giving them the, the eye, saying, you haven't put enough in there. And this, these buckets are overflowing. And he gets to the back door, and his gang goes, OK, it's time to go. And he just all of a sudden goes, no, I can't. Nobody, nobody has ever trusted me. God's grace <laughs> overwhelmed his heart. You know, God's grace. And if we think about it, when are times when God's grace has overwhelmed us and changed us? We've done something that was totally not us. <laughs> Not because we were reading the Bible and said, I have to do this, but just because all of a sudden God's grace overwhelmed us. And it's like, uh, I, can't, I can't do this. I can't do this evil. I've got to turn. I've got to change. For many of us, it might have been at the time that we were saved. All of a sudden, we realized we're a sinner that headed for hell. I need Jesus. I need his grace. Salvation is by grace only. For by grace are you saved through faith, not of works, lest any man should boast. You know, it's not of our own works. We did nothing to deserve salvation. And that's the great news. I didn't do anything to deserve it. There's nothing I can do to, not, to have him take it away from me. Because I didn't deserve it in the first place. It's all grace. Even when you've been walking with God for 300 years, which probably none of us will ever do, you would still not be of works. It will still be by grace. God's grace coming upon us. And he says, in the fullness of time, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the law, 
to redeem those under the law. Very clearly, virgin birth. Why did Jesus have to be born of a virgin? Because the sin nature is passed through the male who made the choice to sin. The sin nature does not come through the female. Jesus did not have a sin nature in him. Every other person born is born a sinner. They are born evil from the very moment they come out of the womb. Okay, and this is important for us to understand. Jesus is the only one that was born without a sin nature. Adam and Eve did not have a sin nature, but they were created. They weren't born. They gave up their perfection for sin. And since then, every single person born has a sin nature. And it's critical for us to understand that the world wants to tell us that we're sinners because we sin. The, you know, you're, you're a sinner because you've been taught that there's sin. God says, no, you sin because you are a sinner. We are born sinners. We have no choice. We will sin because that's our nature. Our nature is to sin. Left to our own, without God's spirit, we will do what's wrong. Now, did you, did you take that car? Well, absolutely didn't take that car. <laughs> well, I'm holding the keys and the, you know, that belong to the car. <laughs> I didn't take it. You know, automatic. Adam and Eve asked by God, you know, hey, where are you guys? We're hiding because, because we're naked. Who told you you're naked? Did you eat of the fruit? Adam, it's her fault. <laughs> she gave it to me. The blame game has been right from the very beginning. And, and he said, nope, the serpent did it. <laughs> yeah. Neither one of them were willing to take responsibility for their action. They all blame somebody else. And we still do today, till all through today. It's not my fault. It's, you know, you know my parents, they raised me wrong. <laughs> you know, it's, it's, it, was, it was out there and I was hungry. I just had to take it. You know, all the excuses that we will make and stay in, instead of saying, God, I'm sorry, I, I really, I messed up and I sinned. Our nature is a sinful nature that wants to defend itself, that wants to say, it's not my fault. It's somebody else's. It doesn't matter who that somebody else is, it has to be somebody else's fault. And our world teaches us to do that. We have psychologists who are always sitting there trying to say, who can you blame for what you're doing wrong? Usually it goes back to mom and dad or grandma and grandpa. It's their fault. No, you're a sinner. It's your fault. They may have helped add to the problem, but we make the decision. And we've got to come to that point to realize no matter who has influenced me, no matter what reason I might choose to do something, I chose to do it. Okay? I could have had bad examples all my life, but I still have made some choices because the conscience tells me it was wrong. The conscience that God puts in each one of us tells us that it was wrong. It's wrong to steal. It's wrong to kill. It's wrong to commit adultery. It's wrong to have fornication. It's wrong to do all these different things. And God says we need to be able to take that and accept it. That's the first part of getting saved is being able to repent and say, God, I deserve punishment. It's me. It wasn't, it wasn't my mom or dad. It wasn't my aunt or uncle. It wasn't my wife. It wasn't my husband. It wasn't my kids. Me. I did it. And that's what's important here is we look to Jesus came so that we could be redeemed. He paid a price. He paid a big price for our sin because we could not pay the price. And that's what we talked about a few weeks ago. If, there, if the law could have done anything to get us to heaven, 
then Jesus would not have had to die. He would not have had to have died. But the law can do nothing to get us into heaven, cannot do anything to get us into fellowship with God. Because God's standard is perfection. And people will go, well, God is love. Well, God is love, but that doesn't mean he allows anything. He has a real love for us. He is also perfectly just, perfectly holy, perfectly righteous, and has to have his justice and righteousness and holiness fulfilled. That is why Jesus came down to this world. We were guilty. We could not pay the sin. We deserved punishment. And God could not just go and say, nope, punishment's covered without it being paid for. Because his holiness demanded it to be paid for. Jesus came and took all the sin upon himself so that he could make us his children, so that we could be his children. And then it says, because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of, of his son into your heart, crying, Abba, Father. And Abba means literally daddy. It's kind of an affectionate term. Uh, you know, for, for men, it might be something like pop or, you know, dad or something, something that shows affection. For, most, for many girls, it's daddy. <laughs> You know, when my daughter wants to show affection or wants something, it's, I'm always daddy. Uh, you know, but this is the way it is. We all have that, that uh, term of endearment for our parents. And, and Jesus, the Father, says that we get to call him Abba. Dad, daddy, pop, whatever, whatever term you would use for that endearment. It literally means daddy. You still hear it in the Middle East all the time. It's an Arabic term. You'll hear the kids going up to their dad, Abba, means father, daddy, you know. We get to call the creator of the universe, <laughs> daddy, you know. Do you realize the preciousness of that? If you look into other religions, there are no other religions that look at the creator of the universe, the, 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 the deity of their, of their group, with the idea that you can call him daddy or dad. Every group has it. You're terrified of whatever the, whoever the lead, lead is. The Muslim world. There is no loving God in the Muslim world. He's a terror to his own people. To his own people, he's a terror. You do things to try to please him so that maybe you might be good enough to make it into heaven. And even a suicide bomber doesn't, isn't absolutely 100% guaranteed to make it into their heaven if he has the wrong thoughts just before the bomb goes off. They never know. You know, you get into some of these other groups that are all based upon works. Do more good than bad. You never know whether, you, whether you're going to get there. And for Christianity, it's so simple. If it's me, it's not good enough. If I'm trying to stand in my righteousness, my goodness, I go to hell. If it's Jesus Christ, that I'm standing in, through the acceptance of his sacrifice, I get to go to heaven. Christianity is so simple. It's the simplest of all the, all the religions out there because I know whether I'm in or out by what have I done with Jesus. That is going to be the question that the Father has at the White Throne Judgment. What did you do with my son? And if you're standing in the White Throne Judgment, you've denied his son. And he's going to show them every time that they denied him and, and that they deserve what they're getting. 
we don't want to let that pass. We want to make sure that he is in our heart, that, that he is the one that brings us into it. There's two kingdoms, and that's all there is. Satan's kingdom has a whole bunch of lies out there on how to get to, the, get to heaven. We hear them all the time. There are many roads to heaven. You know, Do more good than, than bad. Any one of these religions will do. That's the world's way of thinking. And they will send everybody to hell. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Because he paid the price. He paid that price. He's the one that gets us there. Last verse. Wherefore, you are no more a servant but a son, and if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. Heir of God. I don't know how many of, probably nobody in this room really, you know, you, know, you see people on TV a lot of times, they're waiting for their inheritance. You know, waiting for their millions of dollars or thousands of dollars or whatever it is when, when their mom or dad die. We have an inheritance. We have the inheritance of God. And we don't have to wait till he dies because he's not going to die. We wait till we join him and we have his inheritance. And you know what? His inheritance is huge. He owns everything. In Psalms it says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills and then he owns the hills as well. And he owns the whole earth. And he owns anything else that he could create. And it's part of our inheritance. And you know the great value of that? He is infinitely wealthy, which means that our inheritance is in infinite as well. Because if you divide infinity by any number, you still have infinity. For those of you who are into abstract math. But he, we have an infinite amount of wealth to us because we are his children. How do we get that? By having Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. Accepting that I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. If you don't know Jesus, I'm going to encourage you to make sure you know him. Simple prayer, you admit that, you're, that you are in need of it. Lord, I know that I'm a sinner headed for hell. I believe that you say, died for my sins. Come into my heart and save me. Then you repent. A repent is really easy. That means to turn around. <laughs> I'm going one way and I turn 180 and go back the other way. Before we're saved, we're running from God, and he says, turn to me, and we come to him. And the closer we get to them, the more perfect he's going to make us, and the more he's going to give us. And we want to be able to, to look at him and say, I want what you've got, God. I want to be your child. I want to be yours forever. Lord, we just thank you for this day. We thank you for the opportunity we have to choose you. Lord, if there's anybody in this room that hasn't chosen you, we ask that you bring them to you and, and make a choice for you and that they will come and talk to us about that. We ask that you go with us this week as we go out and give us opportunities to share you with others. And we just thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>